0: You're listening to Weld Found, a podcast about belonging in an age of social isolation and disconnection. In this space, we present compelling stories of interest and generosity. We're trying to recover this lost art of community. I'm your host, Tim Coons. Welcome to season four. On today's episode, we're hearing Gino's story. He's an artist who has started a new life after prison, working as a barber. Also on the show, I get ready to knock on my neighbor's doors and we hear about how a funk song is born. Title of today's show, I go outside, get a haircut, and I hear a song. I've jokingly titled all the episodes this season really boring titles because the more I'm learning about community, the more I'm discovering it's the mundane day-to-day things that create what we love. This podcast is made possible by the Weld Community Foundation, the foundation partners with the people of Weld County to help them spread the good, providing connections, resources, and expertise so we can strengthen the bonds that make our communities thrive. You can find out more at weldcommunityfoundation.org. A special note, a new coffee table book about Weld County is being released. It comes out this fall by Colorado's renowned nature photographer, John Fielder. The project was commissioned by the foundation as a gift to the community in celebration of the foundation's upcoming 25th anniversary. The pictures I've seen from it are beautiful. And the people who love living here are going to feel so honored having these photos of home. Again, come by the weldcommunityfoundation.org and take a look. Pre-purchase is happening April and May. The book releases in September. With that, let's start today's show. This past week, I stepped out of my garage. The sun was out, the kids were playing, and I had such a feeling of thanks for my neighborhood. My wife and our four kids, we moved into this new home about three years ago in Greeley, Colorado. We're in a cul-de-sac now. The kids have friends that they play with right in the front yard. We can walk to the park nearby. We love it in this new home. And I looked to my left, where Bennett and his family just moved in last year. And then I look to my right, where Adam and his family live. The families on either side of us are wonderful. We've gotten to know Bennett and his family, the house on the left of us, pretty well. We've borrowed sugar from them. They took one of our kids to the Natural History Museum for an all day trip with their kids. I would trust these folks if we got in a pinch. Adam and his family on the right of us, his daughter has watched our house when we're gone, bringing in the mail, watering the plants. Adam spent an afternoon once helping us fix a broken wagon. Again, I would trust these folks in a pinch. Now, if you were to drive into our cul-de-sac and was asked, how do you think that that household voted? Or what do you think the family at this house feels about such and such an issue? When looking at my neighbors to the left and right, it'd be really easy to tell. And you could see pretty quickly They are opposites. The house to my left, Bennett, has a Go Joe bumper sticker on his car as he voted for Joe Biden in the election. He had a yard sign by his mailbox a couple months ago about an environmental issue. The house on my literal left tends to lean an ideological left. The house on the right Adam has a giant Blue Lives Matter flag displayed proudly from the back of his old, rebuilt black truck. The house on my literal right tends to lean an ideological right. I'm not making this up. My neighbors are opposites on the political spectrum. Their core values are different. They probably got their news from different sources. They most likely voted differently. Though they live close, they are, ideologically speaking, really far from each other. So, how do you think this would play out? How can they live in the same neighborhood? Are there fights? Do they let their kids play together? There's obviously a divide in America. It's a rift that's been growing for some time. And it's especially tumultuous the last few years. And then the pandemic this past year seems to shine a great light on the expanse. And when I bring up the topic of community building of which this podcast is about, of crossing this divide or repairing our social fabric that's been torn, sharing stories from all walks of life and weld, honestly, I get an impassioned range of responses from people, usually despairing or dismissive, often accusatory of the other side. There's so Little hope of seeing each other, and especially, I hear, since the other side is so awful. To put it frankly, I've been really disheartened by how many people I've heard across the spectrum that refuse to look for humanity in their very neighbors. But I know something within us wants healing. Something within us knows that this divided life isn't sustainable, that it is hurting democracy, and is a root cause as to why loneliness was an epidemic on the rise before we experienced the pandemic that began in March. As this tension is voiced, it's important to note, the great divide in America isn't just red state, blue state, or urban and rural, or north and south. This isn't just something that's happening over there and we can ignore it. It's door to door. The divide is home home, block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood, to the immediate left and right of us. Is there hope for my block, <laughs> for Bennett and Adam? And with great irony, I realize I'm talking about a couple white males. The diversity of Weld County goes well beyond this, race, religion, sexuality, and gender. I'm just telling you what's outside my door and the stories of this podcast will aggressively showcase diversity in Weld County, but my guess is you've seen similar complexities of values and cultures and ways of life right where you stand, too. Back to the question, is there hope for the families of Bennett and Adam? How are they coexisting in a random cul-de-sac in Greeley, Colorado? Friends, let's find out. In the following episodes of Weld Found, I'm going to keep this story going for us to explore as a little mini-series. I began this show, Episode 1, Season 1, with a segment titled Out of the Garage and Into the Neighborhood. So it makes sense to do this. On each episode, I'll be knocking on the doors of my neighbors, getting a little glimpse into how they approach belonging to this space on our blog. I'll be threading my conversations with them through the shows as the season progresses, while still showcasing the stories of connection we love hearing. And for now, when it comes to my two neighbors, the house on the left, the house on the right, the house that leans left and the house that leans right, I'm going to keep us suspended until episode two. Right now, I want you to meet someone else from the community. My barber, Gino. Gino gives haircuts at the Barber Shop on 16th Street, 10th Avenue in Greeley, right next to Margie's. And for men getting out of prison, Gino's first haircut for you is free because Gino's trying to give back. He himself is a convicted felon who served over a decade for a violent crime. He's out now working a steady job at the barbershop and he has a community of men he regularly meets with through a nonprofit called Jobs of Hope. What does it look like for a person who served their time to reenter society and become a part of the fabric of community? Friends, Gino has an incredible story, worth hearing, and we get to hear him tell it. Welcome to Weld Found.
1: So I was, at, you know, I was in prison, you know, I never thought about cutting hair yeah. before, you know, I've always been an artist since I was a kid, I've always been good at drawing and stuff like that, you know, yeah. so anyway, uh, I was going to school, um, I had got my GED, and then uh, I went ahead and I seen a, a pamphlet for, uh, uh, to be a paralegal. So I went to school for that. Yeah. And I did two two years. Yeah. Got my certification. Yeah. And uh, what does school look like when you're in prison and like having to figure out like? like well, I mean, if you're doing well, you're, if you're doing courses yeah. like uh, via uh, correspondence. Yeah. Which is just through the mail. Okay. They send the stuff, your books, to the mail. and Of okay. course, they go through it, and then yeah. they give it to you, and then okay. it's on you to have the gumption to sit down every day. Yeah. And. You've got to book. self-motivated pretty much. Self-motivated, pretty right. Let me just rewind a little bit, okay? Yeah, sure. So when I first got to prison, I had got a 32-year sentence, and um, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, you know? I was kind of like thinking, you know, maybe I should end my life, you know? Because things just didn't look, they didn't look, you know, good from where I was standing, you know? And plus the life that I had before I went to prison wasn't all that great anyways, so, you know, I was always just, uh, I was a gang member, you know, I used to hurt people and, you know, and I used to do bad things, you know, never did a good thing in my life, you know, up to that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so my mom was, a, was a, she was a gang activist, mm-hmm. okay, and she was doing it because of me and my brother, mm-hmm. you know. she was, What's gang activist? So she was going around preaching to gang members, trying to get them to lay down their flag, their colors, okay. you know, mm-hmm. and the way she did it, it was... She would pray with them and tell them about Jesus, you know what I mean, and you know, and uh she ended up dying when we were about eighteen of cancer, you know, and uh we knew that she was involved with some kind of programs or whatever, but we were our me and my brother were already raised on the street, and we were too busy on the street, doing whatever we were doing, so we weren't even there for her when she died, you know, and uh so, um so when she had died, the mayor of, of uh, Denver, Mount uh, Wellington Webb, uh, Web, and uh, uh, Reverend Callie, uh, he was a, another gang activist, they held her up in honors and gave her a proclamation. Okay, of a special day. You know, my family ended up uh, throwing a dinner at North High School for her. You know, and a lot of people showed up, a lot of gang members and stuff. And um, But uh, I didn't understand the significance of that situation, you know what I mean? You were 18 at the time? I was 18, I was young, you know, I was raised on the streets, didn't care about nobody. Mm -hmm. I didn't really care about myself, Mm -hmm. really. Um, But um, anyway, I I, I got a 32 year sentence. It's like my first month in my my prison sentence. And uh, my grandpa sent me a picture of my mom along with the proclamation, you know, and being sober with, you know, when all the fog clears and everything, and you're starting to collect your thoughts and stuff. I've seen this. um, Proclamation and the picture of my mom, and I thought, you know, this she left a legacy behind. You know what I'm saying? More or less, you know, what am I gonna do? Absolutely, with this? yeah. But um, I'm like, I'm in prison now. What am I gonna do now? You know. And so I prayed. You know, uh, I got baptized in prison, and uh, I gave up the gang life. I was thinking, of looking for some more stuff to do, but I wanted to take a break, and that's when the CEO came out to me and said she wanted me to uh, get in her, her course. Uh, and, this is, and this was a guard. She was a guard, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I had already drawn some uh, pictures for her hmm. and her uh, husband for their uh, uh, for the, the graduation of their son. I think it was a graduation. Anyway. Um, I, I told her, I really didn't want to do it. You know, I was like, I want to just chill out, you know. I'd I, I like to kick back for a while. And she's like, man, she goes, don't miss this. Don't don't miss up this opportunity. She goes, you're going to be the first student in my class. So I thought, I thought about it for about a day or two. And then I went to her, I said, yeah. I said, I want to get in your class. I said, let's do it. So I, I did it. It was a 14-month class. I stood there. I stood there two or three years. So And then I you know, helped her out and stuff. And then uh, I moved on to another prison because, they were transitioning me to go to a lower facility, so that way I could transition out of prison, you know. And like I said, that wasn't supposed to happen right away because um, I could—I should have done 22 on a 32, you know, with the violent violent crime. So, um, so then I went to another prison, and uh, I ended up cutting hair. Doing the bathroom thing cutting guys in the bathroom and stuff like that and then and then i ended up working in uh Adseg, which is where guys go when they mess up in prison and uh <clears throat> 23 hour lockdown you know some guys are in there for a very long time but they only get out an hour a day you know should they choose to use that to go to the gym or get a haircut you know so, so I'd, I'd cut their hair. They'd come bring them to me and I'd cut their hair and I'd try to talk to them. Yeah. You know, what's going on, man? You know, why are you messing up? You know, stuff like that. Yeah. And it was kind of like- I bet you saw people at their lowest of At levels. their lowest. I mean, these guys are getting out of their handcuffs. Uh, they made keys. Yeah. I don't know how they did it, but they're making keys and they're getting out of their handcuffs to attack other guys. And I seen it with my own two eyes, you know? Yeah. But I seen the guys at the lowest, you know? and. It gave me a chance because I had already been a Christian for a while. So like when I'd be cutting their hair, I'd be praying over them silently. So it gave me, it really kind of like boosted me. I was like, man, this is like a therapy not only for them, but for me. You know what I mean? I've I've heard uh, that role of barber. Yeah. Or the the barbershop. It's a community hub. It's a community hub. Like like people
0: come and and talk and Mm -hmm. um, it has that same kind of feel. like a, like a bar or a coffee shop where people come and sit and mm-hmm. talk. Right, and, right.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I think that's a, that's a special role mm-hmm. Like yeah. that people have. I try not to tell my story to everybody, you know, because not everybody needs to know my story. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the guys that do come through here, you know, I see that they're going through something and tell, hey, you know, this is me, this is where I've been, you know, this is me now, you know, this is how I got here, you know, if I could do it, you could do it, you know, that type of thing. Yeah.
0: Gino was so kind to sit down and share his story with me after I got my hair cut. This interview took place in the back of the barbershop on 16th, and we're going to keep hearing from him what his life in transition has been like getting out and getting involved in a group of guys that he can share life with. But I want to take a quick moment and reflect on something here. In another episode of Weld Found titled The Longest Night, I interviewed Kimberly Pratt. She's someone who does suicide education and support services. And she spoke about this idea that so often in her line of work, uh, quote, I get the opportunity to be in a sacred space with people. I get the opportunity to be with them in the worst day of their life. I also get the opportunity to talk about something that people don't talk about. I get to open the doors of conversation and bring light into the darkness. Now, This is an extreme example of a profession, suicide prevention, where Kimberly finds herself regularly able to enter those sacred spaces where everything else in life, all the extra and superfluous stuff has been stripped away and you're left with what's most important. That's an extreme example. But hearing from Gino in his trade, he's been able to enter some of those sacred spaces too, making connections with people at a deeper level. And I think this is worthwhile to name that there are trades that we work like barber or bartender or barista, simple trades of the everyday, and you could keep going with these roles, school teacher or coach or even personal banker, definitely being a parent, that hold the same sacred opportunities. I think Gino reminds us to look for those sacred places, those moments where we're living life, the everyday usual life, a haircut, grabbing a coffee, running a business, And our interaction with people, it might open a bit, and we get the opportunity to be with someone who's having a bad day, to hear someone, to talk with someone, and go beyond the usual conversation to something more open or vulnerable, and we can bring a little light into these sacred places. A common interaction can become an opportunity for connection and help. I think it's within these sacred spaces that the bonds of belonging, which usually take a long time to grow and form, are sped up a little. Let's close our story now with Gino. He talks about getting out of prison, coming to Greeley and meeting Prez Montoya, who for years helped lead Jobs of Hope. We'll hear about what this community has meant to Gino. And then I'm going to introduce us to Ernest Cienfuegos Baca. He runs Jobs of Hope now and has a fascinating perspective to share. Thanks for letting me take a moment to reflect on the sacred community that can happen with something as simple as a haircut. Here's Gino again.
1: So when I got out, fast forwarding a little bit. I got married. I got married when I was in prison. But uh, I uh, got out and me and my wife moved to Windsor. You know, we we were doing good. And then uh, things just kind of fell through between us, me and her. And I didn't- have, What time of year-ish was this? So this was 2019. Okay. Yeah, 2019, I had got out, went to the halfway house in Denver, did that with flying colors. I got out, uh, within four months, I was out of the halfway house. And there was guys there a year and a half and still on level one. And, you know, I hit level five in like within four months and you know, I just started working and, and doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know? and, uh, so me and my wife moved up there and uh, things kind of fell through between, with, with me and her. And um, So when I moved out, my pro officer moved me here to Greeley. So when I moved here to Greeley, that same day is when I met Chris Montoya. I was down here at the parole house on 14th. Yeah, at the time, President Montoya was in charge. Yeah, he was in charge, right, right. And uh, he knocked on the door, I opened it, I was like, how are you you doing, can I help you? And he was like, he gave me a big old hug, right? I was like... Was that surprising? Yeah, was very surprising. I was like, who is this dude? You know? And I was like, you know, but I'm always welcome to a hug. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I, I looked at him, I was like, who are you? And he goes, my name is Press Montoya. He goes, I run Jobs of Hope right down the street. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, goes, I, you, he goes, your name's Gino, right? And I said, yeah. He goes, you should come by. He goes, and check out what we got going on over there. said okay i'll do that he goes come by tuesday night so i went over there and they're doing the men of valor um i believe it was uh um i think it was on responsibility i I think that's what it was but uh um, i sat there and listened and there's a bunch of guys there and they're participating you know and they're you know they had their heart in it you know i mean i was like man this is where i need to be you know so every tuesday night i go over there and, and start doing their little class and um my wife had um, took me off her insurance, you know, which I had a, have a sr 22 So right away it, uh, um, it uh, uh, my insurance, my license was revoked, you know what I mean? So it was like, you know, that was a bad thing, you know what I mean? <clears throat> right away I started panicking and I was walking out the door, I was gonna go see if I could, there, somehow I could go get my license back on par. And Press happened to be pulling up and he's like, where are you going? I was like, man, I need to go get my license. I said, they're just telling me right now that my license is revoked. I said, I don't have the money to get my license uh, uh, reinstated, blah, blah, blah. And press was like, hey, meet me at the DMV right now. You know, So he met me over there, pulled a hundred bucks out of his pocket and gave it to me. He said, go get your license. You know, I mean, that's what kind of people they are. You know, Awesome people. You know, I, didn't know, I don't know anybody who would ever do that to me, for me. You know what I mean? Nobody. At least I didn't know then. You know what I mean? That was like the first act of kindness anybody's ever really done for me, you know what I mean? Outside of my circle, you know, I didn't even know these people. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. really awesome. I mean, it, it builds trust immediately. Big yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, I, I had tears in my eyes and everything. I was like, man, I can't mm-hmm. it. I didn't feel obligated, but I felt, you know, this is my home right here. Mm-hmm. I feel more comfortable here in Greeley than I do ever did in, in Denver. I felt like there's more people who care about me here in Greeley than there ever was in Denver. Other than my grandma and grandpa and my uncles and aunties, you know. So um, I decided to stay here. Yeah. So, and then I've been doing the Jobs at Hope thing, you know, going to the Men in Valor, uh, roundtable. round table. Um, When I, when I, Ernest over at Jobs at Hope, he's such a good guy. You know, they don't judge or anything like that. You know, I asked him the other day, is there anything that you guys need me to do? And he's looking into it right now to see if there's any type of community service I could do for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I just want to get back to that program. It's, I think it's a really, really yeah. good program. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that you do haircuts Yeah, uh, for, for guys. That are well, current. I mean, if the guys are there, you know, and if they need a haircut, all they got to do is call me or ask me and I'll cut their hair. Yeah. It doesn't matter. First one's free. Yeah, first yeah. one's How free. That. Yeah, you know, get them on their way so they could go find a job and, and, and mm-hmm. do what they got to do. Like I said, uh, like my appearance or whatever, I can't help the way I look, you know. And if somebody chooses not to talk to me because of that, that's fine. But you know what I mean? I mean, I have a story, you know what I mean? And if you want to listen to it, I'll tell it to you. If you could take something from it, cool. Then, then, then I'm, uh, that would that, bring me joy. That would bring me, you know what I mean?
0: Huge thanks to Gino in telling his story. We're going to talk with Ernest here in a moment, the executive director of Jobs of Hope. He's gonna give us some insight in their good work in Weld County. Before we do that, I wanted to talk about a theme I've started noticing when it comes to this season of Weld Found. Several of the stories I've been capturing on audio, a lot of them are hitting on a simple idea worth noting. If you want to help someone in the formation of their self to change someone for the better, put them in a good community. Let them be a part of a group with similar hopes and plans. I know that sounds really simple, This idea was presented on another episode of WELD Found, in the episode She Escaped. Megan Lundstrom, the executive director of the Avery Center, tells her incredible story of how she got free from the sex trade. And she talked about how she now works with women trapped in similar situations. It's called pimp-controlled trafficking. She does research now on how pimp-controlled trafficking meets all the criteria of a cult called cultic theory. There are financial chains and emotional chains, and a completely dominated culture that one finds near impossible to escape from. Your whole life is wrapped up here, and dependence is absolute. You should listen to the episode. Her story and her research is so powerful—again, it's episode 5, She Escaped. So if you can get someone out of that type of destructive culture—a cult or a sex trade or a gang— That's great, but you can't end there. You have to introduce the person who escaped into a better, healthier culture where they can heal and flourish, a community where trust is built and virtuous challenges are made, a space of healthy belonging. Ernest met with me at the Jobs of Hope offices on 10th Avenue and 13th Street in Greeley, Colorado. He gave me a tour of the home there and showed how they've converted a couple of the rooms into basically a one-stop shop for someone getting out of prison who is now homeless, as prisons are releasing people now without having them line up housing anymore. So clothing, some basic needs, items, even a shower is available at the house for them now. Jobs of Hope was founded in 2013 for the purpose of providing support for men seeking to re-enter the community and obtain a better quality of life. They help men 18 and over who were released from incarceration had or have a gang affiliation and struggle with substance abuse. According to their website, it's men who are ready to change their family tree. They are helping people who want to change, find a new community, a space of healthy belonging. Here's Ernest.
2: Doesn't matter what your charges were or anything, we'll work with you in trying to figure out how to help you in that uh, transition from this long, long period of legal issues that you've been dealing with into a new phase in your life. So on average, we have about a 15 to 20 men at one time. Over the eight years that we've been in existence, we've served over 400 um, gentlemen who have uh, voluntarily decided they wanted to come into the program. Understanding Jobs of Hope is not a mandated program by courts, parole, or probation. So. Men actually hear about us, but they walk to walk through the door and talking to us about wanting to make a change. They're ready for a change in their life, and that's really what Jobs of Hope is here: is about um, a self-discovery of change. Imagine if you have been incarcerated for 25 years, coming back to Greeley. Human Services isn't even in the same building as it was 25 years ago. So navigating where things are at, transportation services was not in existence back then, so um, so navigating a bus system, those types of things. Uh, we had one gentleman, just to give you a heads up, and um, he's our senior uh, client, as I was him. He's 63, was incarcerated for 29 years, and he told me he'd heard about Jobs of Hope in prison, um, but when he got out, he couldn't find a payphone to call us. He didn't even realize there were no more payphones. So with that particular gentleman, we're doing everything from teaching him how to use a cell phone, how to use a computer. He has no clue how to use a computer. Filling out an application online, not even an option. He has no clue what that looks like or anything. So we're working actually in that case from ground level basics of some things, how to just apply for a job.
0: Gino mentioned this earlier, but the men as they receive services also get together weekly in a round table or men of valor group is what they're called, where they explore and discuss different virtues. Ernest gives some details on these small groups.
2: The brotherhood that's developed within these walls also support each other. So the men support each other. And there's a lot of topics sometimes they're talking about, whether it's relationships with their family, their children, um, their spouses, or whoever. They can support each other in in this phase of their life, in this next chapter that I'm moving into. Some of them are pretty tough. um, You know, Forgiveness got to let go. You got to forgive and you got move to move on to that next phase in your life. Um, accountability, just being accountable for your own actions and and uh, restraint, being able to just hold back sometimes and not say what you really want to say, uh, which is not, which is really difficult when you think about the gang and prison population, most, most likely pretty outspoken and, you know, you do something or say something, you're gonna hear about it, right? So here in the real world, where you're working with an employer, you gotta have some restraint. Let's talk about how to communicate. And then um, conflict resolution are part of those values. And uh, hope is another value. You know, hope is uh, is what we're hoping for and that you're hoping is that, to have hope and move on and and be able to, to, to forgive and let go of things from the past, so that you can see what your future looks like. It's really what we're trying to do: is create an, a, a, a community where you feel um, as though you, you're a part of. That's exactly what happened when they got in trouble. They joined a gang, a community of people who, for whatever reasons, you know, um, um, individuals decide to do that, they are looking for something, looking for, a lot of times I hear um, stories of gentlemen, matter of fact, one of our gentlemen said that he joined a gang at a very young age, he was 15, he didn't have a father figure, so he was looking for a father figure and gangs ended up being that father figure for him. Right or wrong or whatever, uh, the truth is is that's exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for a community where they can feel as though everybody's going down the same road as they want to. Prison ministry and, and working with the particular population, this particular population is really all about hope. Um, whether you agree or disagree that incarceration. Um, changes people or not. Well, the most important thing to recognize is that in the end, they're all our brothers and sisters, and we're here to help them with that transition when they're ready. And so that's what Jobs of Hope is all about. It's about creating a hope and environment in which gen- gentlemen can come together and support each other, and know that they do so without that we do so without judgment, and that we're here just to make sure that we're here to support you in that path. It's a journey. Um, Jobs of Hope is a faith-based organization, no different than if your journey's with God. He's with you all the time, and so he walks the walk with you, and that's what Jobs of Hope does here. We walk the walk with these men, and we support them in whatever their holistic plan looks like, and it looks different for each one of them. I
0: have such gratitude for the work of Jobs of Hope in our community. Huge thanks to Ernest for sharing about what's going on. The title of our show today is we go outside, get a haircut, and hear a song, and we're at the last part now. How many of us are really missing live music? By far, one of the best live bands to catch in Weld County the last few years has been the Burrows, a funk band that plays originals and covers and knows how to lift a room. I've featured them a lot on the podcast. Part of this is because I know them, but also it's because they really embody what this podcast is about. They're a large group of musicians, a nine piece band with a horn section, but they've always said that their friendship comes first, then the music. And that bond is evident when you see them live. They also are intensely involved in the community. They've done so many charity events, given proceeds of their albums for specific causes. When the pandemic hit, they immediately put together a fundraiser for the Success Foundation, which supports the students in District 6 school systems in Evans and Greeley. The Burroughs are truly about relearning this lost practice of belonging. Their front man is named Johnny Burroughs, and he wrote a song they released last year called Love and Unity. I knocked on his door a couple weeks ago and sat down with he and Olive Lynn, his six month old. She is a prominent feature in this interview, by the way. She had a lot to say and enjoys her dad's music very much. I asked Johnny to walk us through the writing of Love and Unity to give us a play-by-play of the song. How was this thing created? Then, after he explains how certain sections were written, what music inspired them, uh, the meaning behind the lyrics, then I'll play the studio recording too. This is how we'll end the show today. It is so fascinating and such a gift to let an artist give you insight on something they've made. I found it really lifts
3: the experience for us. Here's Johnny Burroughs taking us through love and unity. uh, yeah, love and unity, man. I actually wrote it four years ago now, uh, and we released it last year. It's funny we released the song. Our last venue show it was a big venue show, like a big release party, uh, and then you know two weeks later the world shut down. So it's kind of funny because we released the song and then weren't able to really like push it out <laughs> anywhere, doing any shows with it. Uh, but I wrote it four years ago. Um, and actually, the beginning of the song, I was sitting on this couch right here. Uh, it was a day pretty much like today. It was a really bright, sun, sunny day. Uh, she wasn't here yet, so I had some extra time. And um, I had been kicking around the idea of writing songs for other people. And uh, Mary Claxton and Brian Claxon and Hayden Farr all have a band called Trash Cat. Uh, and one, I think Mary Claxon is an unbelievable songwriter. So she inspires me all the time. So I was like... I was thinking, oh, I want to write something for Trash Cat that kind of has what Mary would do, um, but is like a little bit funkier. Uh, so I started playing like, I just like, sat down and just played. I just like the like walkingness of it. Uh, so, so I started playing that and I'm like, yeah, this feels so good oh my gosh, I'm loving this. And I'm like loving, like, it's something so different from like what the Burrows had ever done. And it just like started to hit me. And then I immediately was like, oh man, this is like a song. My My go-to immediately is just start writing a song about unity or bringing people together. Up, like that's just my go-to. If I start sitting down and thinking of words, that's what starts coming out. So then I started playing it and I'm like, yeah, this needs to be a song about like coming together. Okay, yeah. Oh shoot, I think this is gonna become a Burroughs song. I think I'm gonna steal this back because I'm just feeling this so much. And my first thought was, I was like, ah, I love group vocal stuff with you know the low voice, the middle voice, and the super high voice all singing unison. I think that sounds so cool. So I'm like, oh, what would be a cool line for all of us to sing? And then I literally started thinking about the band and I'm like, we just need a song that's like, this is our mission. So I was like, yeah, yeah. like. People get up and clap your hands. And like, uh, don't you see? Yeah, what are we doing? What we're spreading across this land is love and unity. And I was like, oh, yes, this is a Burrow song. <laughs> like it just, and it doesn't always happen, but uh, as you know, as a songwriter, there's, there's a lot of work that goes into things, but there are all those beautiful, like, you know, Heaven to earth moments where things just like flow right through you. Connect, you connect into something so much bigger, and it just comes out. So those words just were like there. It's just like, yeah. What are we doing? What we're spreading around this land is love and unity. It's like, oh, that's that's the band. Oh my gosh. Uh, so so I had that riff, and then I just started thinking about like, um, okay, you know, it'd be cool if it just kind of stayed in that just had that feeling that that's a great groove like and then i like love current rapper obviously i love everybody loves he's incredible it's kendrick lamar and i love that he's got this rhythm sometimes he know just like and it's like going up and down it's like traveling from the top to the bottom so then i was like oh i want to do that and i was like okay okay we're spreading love and unity why do we need to do that what's happening okay uh I've been looking around, I've been getting down, I've been hearing sounds of people wondering what to do. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I've been looking around, I've seen people. But what's great about this band is like, oh, we're together. So it's like, when I'm with my crew, I come feel the love. I'm not as a dove, gotta give it up to everyone who's living proof. This world is more than just. And I was like, oh my gosh, what? And that's actually the second verse, but it was like give it up to everyone who's living proof that this world is more than just, and I'm like, just what? And I'm like, oh, it should change there. So I thought, I'll take the one chord, like the, the key of the song, it's in D, and I'll just take it to a minor, like old blues trick, go minor, major. Uh, and I'm like, oh, this automatically gives it a different vibe, and I'm like, okay, what, do, what annoys me most in the world? Social media. Like, what do I think is a cancer on the world? Social media. Uh, uh, So I just started thinking about, obviously, what, you know, it was four years ago. So, like, the dissension was growing rapidly all around us. And and the idea of camps was growing quicker, getting more and more and more and more toxic. Uh, And so I just started to think of, like, oh, what's the actual, what is happening? I'm like... Everyday people talk with their fingers. So I thought was just talking, typing. Stinging words whose poison seems to linger. Drawing lines and searching for the ringer. I thought about like drawing lines between each other, and then searching for the ringer, like the ringer in a in a in a uh, competition. It's like I'm gonna type this, and then everything's gonna stop. But it never happens because all it does is spur more animosity. Um, So just this like minor thing just led me to this place where I'm like, oh, this gives me an opportunity to talk about the things that are making me sad, that are annoying me, the things we're coming against. Talking round and round while feeling crazy, calling for action while being lazy. Those two lines, like, I just, I'm a proponent of talk is cheap one of the things that annoys me most in the world is everyone can point out what's wrong. It's so easy. And we think we're smart and we attribute like uh, intelligence to people who point things out. It's like, look, they're doing so good telling us what's wrong. Like we can all day talk about what's wrong in the world. Even, even the idea of social media or dissension, like we, everyone's having the same conversation. How awful this is. How bad is it that we're so separate? We all hate this. We hate that we're in camps. We hate that on Facebook we get into arguments. Everybody hates it. And we just keep doing it because we can all talk about what's wrong. That's easy. It's so easy to point out what's wrong.
0: And it feels um, good. And it, it feels so good. It feels good to you like.
3: feel above. To, yeah, to, to be filled with a righteous anger. Totally. Yes, idea. exactly. Yeah, we love it. But it takes that one little bit of like, okay, well, what are, are you gonna come in up spirit? Are you gonna change things? What are you gonna do? Like, so, anyways, my answer to all of that kind of dark, minor thinking, the stuff that's like plaguing my mind, the last line I sing in this dark part is uh, I'd rather just dance here with my baby to this funky sound. There's people way smarter than me that can argue the points of this. It's like, I don't care, I just wanna be present. Like I want to be present with my wife, Uh, I want to be present with people like that are unified in this idea of love and unity, like yeah that's not gonna, I I got no like delusions of grandeur that's gonna solve the world's problems, everyone's just gonna come together and hug, that's not gonna happen, but for me I'm just like, man, I'd just rather dance with people that want to dance.
0: Well. but also, like, you're actively creating that space. Like, exactly. Like, like, in a exactly. live show, you're actively creating that space and saying, we have this moment now. Totally. There's got to be some healing here. Right,
3: exactly. Yeah, yeah. and then, that's the song, too. It's, and it's then inviting everyone to be like, okay, yeah, here's all the stuff that we all know we don't like, but for this moment, let's just, let's just let go of that and just all be human beings in this space. And, again, that's what's so beautiful about those spaces that it allows us to be human beings and just enjoying something that we all connect on yeah man so then taking that song to the band like it just got funkier and funkier and then we were fortunate we brought in eric Krasno, uh who is an unbelievable guitar player producer and produced the song for us and just like again <laughs> took it to another level it's so great to work with the yeah. producer and he made it even funkier than i thought it could be uh and uh yeah and it just became this song that is exactly what it was always <laughs> Yeah, I live there. Came this song, that's always what it was meant to me, it was just a call to action. And that action is, it's pretty like obvious love and unity, it's just about come together, let's uh, let's look at each other as human beings, and, and most of all, let's have a good time uh, together. everybody come together now, cause it's group that we are putting down. Ain't about to wait for you to decide the why, the what, the how. Step on the floor and settle in, let this be a medicine. medicine, no this ain't a debate, listen to what we say, we are teachers, here's your lesson. up and clap your hands, oh what it is, don't you see, what we're coming with now, what we're spreading across this land, go on to It's love and unity, you know I think some people are trying to come against it though, everything. Poison seems to linger, drawing lines and searching for the ringer to shut it all down. I've been, round, I've been getting down, I've been here in town. People wondering what to do. But when I'm with my crew, I can feel the love. I'm hot as a dove, gotta give it up to everyone who's different.
2: Crazy
3: calling the action by being lazy. I'd rather just dancing with my baby. To the smoky side. Get up and clap your hand.
0: You Huge thank you to Johnny and the burrows and all of Glenn for taking us through the song Love and Unity. Special thanks today to Dave Farrell, a professor at Ames Community College, for extra help with sound engineering on this episode. And thanks to Ernest and Gino and Jobs of Hope. Thanks for sharing your stories. As always, thank you to the Weld Community Foundation for making this show possible. For more information on the foundation or the coffee table book by John Fielder, titled Weld County, head to weldcommunityfoundation.org. You've been listening to Weld Found. Please like us on social medias, rate the podcast on iTunes, share us with a friend. And again, thanks for listening.